The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favourite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great-tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Mark Stavish is a respected authority on Western spiritual traditions and the author of over 26 books. His most recent book is Egregores, The Occult Entities That Watch Over Human Destiny. And this book provides information on the history and use of egregores, true accounts of disengaging from egregores, and how to free yourself from one when you realize it's no longer working for you. To find out more about Mark Stavish, please visit his website, hermeticinstitute.org. That's H-E-R-M-E-T-I-C-I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E dot org. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, brother? Oh, thank you very much for the invitation. It's uh, it's good to be with you. You know, I always have to check because of these time differences. Like, is it today? Or is it tomorrow, you know, because you're a day ahead of me? Uh, it's it's early morning tomorrow for me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, but, but we're here together, so we've solved this time-space equation sufficiently. <gasps> time-space equation, I like that. So, Mark, this is going to be a, um, a journey for me and either my listeners or viewers as well, because this is the first conversation that I've had to deal with what you specialize in, which is esoteric, the esoteric world. And 
I would love for you to be able to explain what that means. What, what is the esoteric world or esoteric philosophy? No, uh, that's just it. There is no singular esoteric philosophy. As the great French scholar Antoine Favre said, you know, there's no such thing as esotericism. It's esotericisms, plural. And I think he gave 10 variations of the word. Uh, so for us, the simple understanding is this. You know, we have exoteric religion or outer religion. So think in terms of a, a crab, you know, an exoskeletal structure, okay, a you know, kind of crustacean that, that holds everything together. So you have that outer uh, social and somewhat moral uh, experience. But then you have an inner experience and ESO's interior. What is my inner experience? So with that as a jumping off point, uh, almost anything can become esoteric in a way. However, generally speaking, it is leading us to a deeper understanding of ourselves. That's probably the simplest place to start. And you have been studying this. Tell us about the history of you and your family into these practices or into these studies and, and define that for us, if you don't mind. Well, different uh, members of my family at different times. I mean, not everybody. You know, they've had an interest in this. And going back to uh, German folk magic, uh, which in this country, in the United States, is known as powwow or brauka. Uh, but you see it in uh, Germany as well. or in at the Well, it dates back to the Middle Ages, really. It's a continuation of medieval magic in many ways. And uh, it's had a resurgence probably in the last 10 years, quite pleasantly. I was very surprised. A lot of us were looking at uh, powwow or brauka and saying, gee, you know, I mean, are we the last of it? And then probably about 10, maybe 15 years ago, slowly, more and more interest. And with it, a revival of interest in folk magic as a whole. And it was uh, people looking for a kind of... Uh, living vital tradition and, and you get that within powwow in various degrees so that's part of it and then of course from my great uncle who was uh learning this and he had learned it from his his father who had learned it from his uncle uh which kind of goes against the rules because generally you do cross gender but there's a there's a, a story about that and they say well well how do you teach someone you know, if it's supposed to go male to female or female to male, how do you teach someone? And uh, the story goes, well, you teaching the, the table leg, they call it. Whereas you turn and you talk to the table leg, well, the other person's there. And they, that's how they learn it. It's kind of like women who would eavesdrop on Masonic ceremonies in the 18th century, you know. Suddenly, well, okay, we've got to make him a mason now. They heard everything. So it's kind of like that. But uh, he was also involved in all of the uh, major uh, esoteric movements of the uh, mid 20th century, uh, those movements which would have grown out of the French and uh, English occult revival period. So, you know, he was there when they were really starting out in the 20s and 30s and so on. And so, of course, uh, I joined quite a few of these organizations and, and would go to meetings with him, uh, which was always quite nice because uh, being born in 1900, uh, he was always treated as kind of like the elder statesman. So that was always fun. So what do you learn, what have you learned through this process about yourself and about your place in this reality? 
in this time space, as you would call it. Like, let's let's get into the, and I want to talk about your your latest book after this as well, because I feel like it's going to be so fitting for the period that we're going through right now as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think each person is going to learn something different, and and I know that doesn't really answer the question. Um, and, and the reason being is we can talk about having knowledge and conversation with our holy guardian angel or our higher self or our inner master or our master within or you know the inner guru pick a pick a phrase or term you like uh, and the i the i am and we can talk about that but it's very difficult to convey what that experience is like because it is so personal and then there's also like any journey uh even if you have a really good GPS system or a really good map, you can still get lost. And, uh, you know, I had a friend I used to go to Masonic meetings with, and it was always great because we take his car and he'd always listen to the GPS. And so often as he was listening to it, we'd end up going <laughs> down the wrong street, the wrong way, <laughs> you know, because you also have to pay attention to what's right in front of you and what's happening immediately in front of you. So we, we have this inner journey where we seek to understand the nature of our mind, the nature of ourself. Who am I? Why am I here? How did I get here? And where am I going? All these great existential questions because they have to do with existence. The problem is we have to cut through all the crap that's in our mind too. So a lot of esoteric practice resembles psychotherapy because it is it's a therapy of the psyche of the soul however we should not make a mistake and confuse the two psychotherapy is essential but it is preliminary to the deep experiences that one can potentially have in these practices and that's assuming you go in this orderly fashion some people have very spontaneous breakthroughs. We've all had them at times, but they can also be disruptive because how do they fit into the rest of the process? Um, we can have um, a lot of practices, but we find our lives getting more disturbed and disorderly. Well, why is that? I came to this to have peace and harmony and happiness. And I'm like, well, no one promised you that except a fool or a liar. And you were a fool to believe it. You know, because if you want to create something, you got to get your hands dirty. You got to mix the paint. You got to dig up the earth. If you want to change your life, that means you have to shake things up inside, not just put more on top. <laughs> you know, so uh, how we go about this inner journey is extremely important. And that's why it's useful to have a good friends, a good teacher and, and good resources. And um, that can often be difficult to have, but they're very important, particularly the friends part, because as we get into the next part of the discussion, you know, we become like the five people we spend the most time with. That's just the way it is. So you really need to pick your friends carefully, you know, because you you can't have these friends that um, are really counterproductive to your inner journey. And then, you know, think you're going to make progress. You know, it's not going to happen. Hmm. 
So the, the process is difficult and it's, it's, it's very difficult and it's demanding because it requires constant attention to ourselves and constant attention to our, our own thoughts. One of the quotes is the greatest journey or the journey that we have the hardest time is getting to know ourselves. And this podcast is called Evolve and it's, it's about human evolution. And I invite guests on that I've had maybe 250 guests now that I believe add these beautiful tools for human evolution, whether it be through the food that we may eat, the mm -hmm. beliefs that we may have, the relationships that we, as you just described with our friends or partners or family and how to understand that through a different lens, maybe through a mature lens or from a not emotive lens and everything in between that. And my wife, Nicola was actually, she introduced me to your work recently. Uh, she was, she was reading your book, Egregores. And I don't pronounce that correctly, but I was, I started reading it and listening to it and it made so much sense to me. Like it's, it's, it's right in front of our noses and faces, especially over the last 12 months. I think since coronavirus has appeared as an egregore. And I do believe this, what you teach here has a very powerful part to play in human evolution for anybody that chooses to listen to it or, or get their hands dirty as you speak, as you speak about to create. And, and um, I would love for you to take us on this journey about the egregores and, and define it and how you came to understand this very powerful awareness. You know, in um, we are often hear the phrase, in the beginning was the word. And uh, in the Gospel of John. And the word is often verbum or Latin, you know, to an action. It's not a noun in the beginning. You know, the, the word is not a noun, it's an action. But in the beginning was the word. And we see within Tibetan Vajrayana, an incredible emphasis on, on mantra yoga. I mean, some just call it really, really another word for Vajrayana yoga is mantra yoga, mantrayana. The, the role of invocation, the role of chanting, what those mantras are, what they mean. We see in uh, Indian yoga, uh, an entire cosmology based around the, the nature of sound, a very complex uh, uh, cosmology, philosophy, and practice. And when you have a word for something, it exists. Because clear speaking, clear writing, and clear thinking all involve the same process. We just apply it a little differently. And if you don't have a word for something, it doesn't quite exist for you. It's ambiguous. It may gnaw at you until you can find an approximation, but it's not really there yet. It hasn't come into expression. 
And that's why speech is so powerful because it connects the inner with the outer. Once I say something and you hear it, we have connected. I have brought that which is hidden to light. When we look at the word egregore, and no one says it properly, by the way, it's, it's Greek and it's always wrong. We're looking at a word that people have suddenly realized, okay, this defines my experience. I get it now. That's what I've been experiencing or been exposed to. Now I know what's happened. That's why I hear from so many people who have reviewed the book and people either love the book or they hate it, which is interesting because the strong rejection of it is really a strong rejection of the message. And there's some people who can't even get past the introduction, which to me is a litmus test of their ability to move forward. You know, if, See, and I had someone say, well, you, you didn't even read what I wrote. I didn't like it. Okay, what didn't you like? Oh, well, this. I said, but I didn't write that. But we'll not talk about that. I'll just talk about what I wrote. Yeah, didn't do it. Because you, you have to be able to face difficult ideas and difficult concepts. You have to be willing to listen. And the problem with listening is that you risk changing yourself. You risk being changed when you listen. So when we have a word like egregore, we now have an idea, a framework in which to realize how we are experiencing relationships. And relationships are fundamentally built on trust. That's the basic human resource of interaction is trust. And we see in these relationships that often our trust is abused, mostly in religious or political ones. And then we realize that either we were naive, which is not a virtue, um, or we continued to lack discrimination. And we saw all the warning signs, but we were so hooked into this belief, this emotional container of the relationship that we just couldn't let go. So an egregore is kind of like a, a dysfunctional or abusive relationship on steroids in some respects, when it's not to our benefit. There are egregores which can be very beneficial to us. So what we see then is that an egregore by definition is a social control mechanism. And I take that phrase from uh, Jacques Vallée's work, Messengers of Deception. Uh, and that really defines what happens. And the social control mechanism works in terms of a collective unconscious. Well, we've all heard that phrase and every group has a collective culture, a corporate culture you may have it told. Well, that's not our corporate culture here. Our corporate culture endorses these values. Hmm, okay, what about what's outside those values? Or, you know, the devil's in the details about those values. Okay. Or we endorse someone as convenient or doesn't cost us anything. So the collective conscious or unconscious structure of any group is a egregore. 
Now, that's just one basic understanding of it. And you can see that everywhere. You can see that from your local knitting club to your PTA to any board of directors, whether it's at your library or, or historical society that you've been on. A certain cultural or group identity comes into play and then dominates, for better or worse, the actions of the people participating in it. And it's really interesting, you see that when people suddenly become important. You know, if you want to get someone to do your bidding, make them feel important, they'll do anything for you. Uh, just one of the easiest ways, give them a title, offer to give them a medal. Oh, well, you can manipulate people's goodwill wonderfully in that way. Again, for better or worse. The other aspect of the egregore is the more esoteric or the more traditional and occult. And that says that there is this collective framework unconscious of a psychic or energetic and in, in, in nature that exists when people gather together or form groups or cooperative entities of different kinds. And that then goes through the invisible domain, the invisible dimensions, the worlds, the astral, whatever you want to call it. And it's like a giant funnel with the big end of the funnel down here on terra firma and the small end of the funnel up at the top. And then at that top somewhere, is a entity of some kind. And that entity could be a god, a deity, an archangel, an angel. There can be a hierarchy of beings. We all care about the hierarchy of beings, right? Whether it's the communion of saints or bodhisattvas or uh, uh, the household of the faithful. I mean, every tradition has these things that go from the visible to the invisible realm. And that there's something at the other end that interacts with humanity and to some degree benefits from this interaction, just as we in turn, in theory, benefit from the interaction with it. And that's the role of the sacrifice in traditional teachings and traditional cultures. The sacrifice was to feed the egregore and the deity. Now, the question for us is, um, what are the egregores that we are in, that we know about? What are the ones that are influencing us that we aren't aware about so we can become aware of them and then decide consciously, do I really want to participate in this or not? And to what degree we can gain freedom from these forces of social control, which is really a form of mental control. It's a form of psychic control because it limits what we focus upon and therefore often tries to limit what we're willing to think about and the direction that we're willing to go. And you can see some of these limitations uh, in current culture with cancel culture, where even the question cannot be broached. You can't even bring up the question. Well, that means that that's a powerful egregore seeking to limit or control discussion, which means thought, which means freedom of action, which means you. And then you see other areas where discipline and uh, control can be beneficial such as maybe in a university setting. You know, if you want to get a degree in engineering, there's only so many English literature classes you can take. So having that narrow focus allows you to move forward. You know, and in that engineering class or physics class, you're, you're not really going to be asking questions about Chaucer or Shakespeare. So I want to make this clear that boundaries are essential. We just have to recognize if those boundaries are beneficial to us or not. Mm, beautiful, beautiful explanation. It's interesting that you picked on cancel culture because I've just experienced that in my own 
reality over the last three or four months. I have been deplatformed from Facebook for speaking out. And um, when that happened, the people that I worked with for many years that I would call friends um, publicly dumped me from their from their platforms as well. The, uh, the ability to be able to sell books, for instance, uh, all the bookstores and department stores in Australia said, we will not sell Pete Evans books anymore. Even though I was the number one selling author for the last five years for uh, health and lifestyle and cooking books in this country, it was instantaneous. And as an observer of this, I was like, wow, this is really fascinating, this, this fear mentality, because it wasn't based on ration. For me, it was, it was reactionary instead of um, any, any form of even dialogue or any form of trust or communication. Even the people that I'd worked with for 10 years, they have still not contacted me to say that they're no longer working with me. They just made a public statement. And I've tried calling it and emailing it, and, and there's nothing there. And again, as, a, as I've been on my own personal journey for 30 years, so I can detach from that and look around and, and sort of be curious about the nature of reality and the nature of, of actions. And when you talk about this cancel culture being an egregore and it's about you, your freedom to act, let's dive a little deeper into that because uh, I'm I'm feeling this is this is a really nice thread to um, to explore in relation to egregores and what the potential is down the track. Well, you know, egregores are like giant people in, in many respects. They're a corporate entity in that sense. Corporates meaning body. They are a body, and you know, we hear the mystical body of Christ, and and you know, that's the uh, spiritual force behind the, that's called the invisible church behind the church. That's how it's defined. And, you know, every, everything has that families have it, particularly the wealthy families. Uh, they have their family egregores. I mean, you know, when you, when you, when you give your house a name, you know, that's a whole other level, right? You know, I, my wife and I joke about that. We, we've actually said, what are we going to name the house? You know, <laughs> Should it be an Italian or Polish? You know, I mean, when it's Polish, you have to be able to pronounce it, you know, because she has Polish uh, nobility on her side through her mother's line. There's Polish nobility there. So, so maybe we should be Polish, but maybe it's Italian. At least Italian sounds better, you know, and it'll sound like a restaurant. People will be calling us asking what our, what our serving hours are, you know, if we do that. So, you know, when you name a house, think about it. You, you give this place its own identity, its own force, its own, its own spirit, its own nature. And then when you talk about the nature of the families that live there and go through it, that's an egregore. So you have these great families across the world that have risen and fallen for centuries uh, that are like that. Whereas most families, you know, it's two or three generations, boom, gone, two or three gone. You know, they don't really last that long and they're forgotten. So you have that kind of egregore going on. And they intermarry, just as families intermarry. So do egregores. And egregores, you know, is, uh, can be co-opted. And in the last 30 years in general, 
and the last 15 in particular. And I wrote about it 15 years ago when the arc really was clearly in play. Uh, in fact, what I wrote about 15 years ago, I'm bringing back because it's all happened in the last few years, the last year in particular. I'm reminding people about it, at least my readers, is that uh, what we call progressive political movements have essentially taken over uh, the spiritual movements in the West. And you see that throughout most of the mainstream Christian churches. Uh, they're obsessed with social justice, whatever that happens to be. And they don't teach about scripture. They don't teach prayer. They don't teach meditation or how to go inside. It's all external. Remember, it's an exoteric practice. It's an outer religion. So they've moved now to what is most outer, the only direction they know, which is now social control of some kind. So, you know, that control is their notion of goodness. What does it mean to be a good person? And this gets really tricky when we get into even notions of good and evil and, and different views on it. But the point is, that's the direction it goes in into social control. Well, those churches aren't the only ones that have done that. Uh, you also see that within, you know, Western Buddhism and uh, most of the yoga traditions. I mean, they're, they're really a farce uh, in terms of what they offer and, when, and what dominates them. Um, because their, their notion of, of course, how they take bodhicitta is they translate it as compassion rather than the awakened heart or courageous heart. And to that compassion automatically. I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.